Psalm 22. Let me just read a couple of verses of Psalm 22 to get us started. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why art thou so far from helping me and from the words of my roaring? O my God, I cry in the daytime, but thou hearest not, and in the night season, and I am not silent. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the Word of God, for another opportunity to preach, and for each one that's gathered this way to worship you. Lord, help me in what I say today to direct people's thoughts and minds towards you, that they could enter true worship. And I pray, O God, that you'd bless our time together, meet the need of every heart, save any be lost, and Revive each one today. Do that that only you can do, and I'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Last week I spoke to you on Christ as the Lamb of God from Exodus chapter 12. We saw him as the sheep or the lamb. Today I want us to look at him as the shepherd. And we see him in three ways. In Psalm 22 we have him as the good shepherd crucified on the cross. In Psalm 23, we have him as the great shepherd caring for his sheep. And in Psalm 24, we have him as the chief shepherd coming in the clouds. And we like to look at him, first of all, as the good shepherd, our Christ, our substitute, in Psalm 22. The whole basis of salvation is being on the basis of a substitute. God cannot overlook my sin. God cannot say, well, you tried, and I'm going to let you on into heaven. You know, it'll surprise you and amaze you how many people believe that, well, I haven't been too bad. Uh, you know, I know I've done wrong, but I haven't been too bad, so I think I'll get in. And I want to say that no one has a right to heaven on that basis. The only right that we have to heaven is to get our sin paid for. And God is a God of love and a God of mercy and a God of grace. But God is also a holy God. God is also a God of justice. Sin absolutely must be paid for. And if I'm going to heaven, I have to get my sin paid for. Otherwise, I have no right to heaven. Somebody has to pay the penalty of sin, which is death. Now, if I pay it, if I choose to pay it, then I must go to hell and stay forever. Or else I accept the payment that Jesus Christ made on my behalf. And that's, that's the... The whole central theme of the Bible and the whole central message of what Calvary and the celebration of Easter and all is about is Christ is our substitute. And we have that in Psalm 22. Now it's amazing that in this psalm we have a, so many descriptions of the suffering of Christ on the cross. Psalm 22 along with Isaiah 53 gives us uh, many things that, uh, that are really not even revealed in the Gospels, but many things that are. For instance, verse 1, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? You recognize that, don't you? 
That's what Jesus said on the cross. And you will find that that's the only time that he referred to his Father as God. He always referred to him as Father. Here he refers to him as God. Why? Because he has our sin upon him. He's dying as our substitute. He's dying in my place. And so we have this, these words. Now when Jesus died on the cross, he not only suffered the physical suffering for sin, but he also suffered the suffering of hell. You see, the penalty for my sin is death, spiritual death, physical death, and eternal death in the lake of fire. If Jesus is going to pay my sin debt, he must suffer all the penalty. He must suffer my hell. And if you will study Calvary, if you'll study what happened on that cross, you will find a description of hell. And if you study Psalm 22, you will find a description of what hell is like. What is hell like? Hell is to be forsaken by God. That God forsakes one forever. You know, even the worst of sinners has the hope that one day they might come to know God. Uh, most people I've talked to anyway. But I want to say those in hell are without hope. Those in hell are eternally separated from God and they will never have another opportunity. Then in verse 2 we have the darkness. He said, I cry in the daytime and I hear not in the night season. I'm not silent. For the six hours that Jesus Christ hung on the cross, three of those hours were spent in darkness. And the Bible describes hell as a place of outer darkness where the light of day is never seen. We have the desertion in verse 1, the darkness in verse 2. We have the derision in verse 6 through 8 where he said he was a reproach of men and despised of the people. They laughed at him. They shot out, shoot out the lip. They shake the head saying he trusted in the Lord that he would deliver him, let him deliver him, seeing he delighteth in him. And we have here uh, the description of, of, of the mockery that Jesus Christ went through on the cross. And then verse 13, they gaped upon me with their mouths as a ravening and a roaring lion. Verse 14, I am poured out like water. Here we have dehydration. We have the profuse perspiration. I want to tell you that crucifixion that we're told was the most horrible means of death that has ever been invented by man. You see, the electric chair is, is, is over in a few moments. A lethal injection is quick. Even hanging was immediate. Death was immediate. But crucifixion, sometimes they would hang for days on a cross. And it was a horrible method of death. And there we have the, uh, the perspiration. All of my bones are out of joint. Think of the dislocated joints that Jesus experienced. Some believe that, uh, that when they nailed him to the cross and then lifted up the cross and dropped it in the hole, that it jerked his bones out of joint. I don't know when it happened, but he says there that his bones were out of joint. If you've ever had a dislocated joint, you know the pain that is associated with that. And here he said, all my bones are out of joint. 
And then he goes on and says, My heart is like wax. It is melted in the midst of my bowels. The affected heart, the temperature probably he's talking about, uh, that, uh, uh, that accompanied the, all the other things that were happening. And then he said, My strength, in verse 15, is dried up like a pot shared, and my tongue cleaveth to my jaws, and that's brought me into the dust of death. Here it talks about his weakness. You know, people that have surgery, there's two things that usually accompany most any kind of surgery, and that is a, a, a loss of strength, a weakness, and also a dryness, uh, a, a dryness of mouth. And, and people say, my mouth is so dry, I can't hardly stand it. And a lot of times they won't give you anything to drink because uh, of the upset into the stomach and all that. But the, the thirst and the dryness, and again we see the a picture of hell. Hell is a place in Luke 16 that, that the rich man is begging for water. And I want to tell you that there's no water in hell. Jesus on the cross when he said, I thirst. I believe he was crying the same cry as the rich man in hell. I believe he was experiencing what that rich man was experiencing. He was experiencing the, uh, the, the torment of the, of the thirst that he went through there in hell. And then he goes on in verse 16, For dogs have compassed me. The assembly of the wicked have enclosed me. They pierce my hands and my feet. And of course we know that happened as they nail him to the cross. Sometimes they would tie him on the cross. But here Jesus is nailed. And I have a replica of those nails, and it's about 12 inches long. It was a spike. It was a horrible instrument that they nailed him to the cross with. And he said, I may tell all my bones, they look and stare upon me. And the Bible said, sitting down, they watched him there. As he hangs there, they stripped him off and hang him there on the cross, and he hangs there in shame and disgrace, and all that as a payment for our sin. Verse 18, they part my garments among them and cast lots upon my garments. Here we have uh, the gambling over his garment. Think of that. You know, they're thinking about gambling. They say they're going to expand the casino in Cherokee. You know why they're having to expand it? Probably a lot of church members over there. Huh. I'll tell you, gambling is, gambling is something that Christians ought to be involved in. But here they gamble over the garment of Jesus Christ there, and this gives you an idea of their attitude toward the Lord Jesus Christ. So we see Christ as our substitute. We see Him hanging on the cross. We see Him paying our sin debt. We see him paying our, our, or taking our judgment of hell upon himself. Now let's move on to Psalm 23. And we have Christ, our shepherd, in this psalm, in Psalm 23. And this is uh, one of my favorite psalms. I, I love this psalm. And I guess it's probably uh, the, the most favorite scripture of, of, of any portion of Scripture is Psalm 23. It is used uh, in many, many uh, funerals. I've used it many times. And it's such a source of comfort in, in this blessed Psalm. And here we have Christ as our shepherd. 
Jesus has died on the cross. He has died as their substitute. And then Jesus has died uh, that he might become our shepherd, that he might be with us in this, in this life and provide for us. So as, a, as the shepherd, he is caring for his sheep. And that's what the shepherd does. We notice here that he says, The Lord is my shepherd. This is personal. Uh, you have Lord in all capital letters. And when you have that, it means the self-existent one. That he is existent within himself. And this all eternal, everlasting, self-existent God and Lord is our shepherd. He is my shepherd. You know, it's a personal thing, isn't it? It's not that he's our shepherd. He's my shepherd. And that tells me, if, he did, you know, if I was the only sheep, that he'd be caring for me. Someone said, if I was the only sinner, he would have died for me. But if I was the only Christian, you know, he'd be my shepherd. I like that in Revelation where it talks about the condition of the church just before the Lord comes. And it's a condition of lukewarmness. And the Lord uh, uh, says, says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man, if any man hear my voice, the Lord says the church as a whole will turn their back on me. But if you will open the door to me, I'll be your shepherd and I'll lead you and I'll direct you. It's a personal thing. He numbers the hairs of our head. He said, I shall not want. Then he gives some interesting things about sheep here. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. Now this shows his wonderful provision for me. You know, I, I have a book that, uh, that uh, was written by a shepherd and he describes some interesting things about sheep and the character of sheep. He says for sheep to lie down, they cannot be hungry. He said as long as that sheep is hungry, it will not lie down. It was, it's hunting for food. It needs food. And only when its stomach is filled will the sheep lie down. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. These sheep are well provided for. I want to tell you that our shepherd takes care of his sheep. He provides for them, doesn't he? He said, I clothe the grass of the field. I feed the birds of the air. I'll take care of you. So he provides for us. Then he said, he leadeth me beside the still waters. He said another thing about sheep. They will not drink from raging waters. They will not drink from waters that are the, from the rapids. The shepherd knows that. And the shepherd leads those sheep where the waters are calm and where the waters are still. And the sheep will drink from those still waters. And this is a wonderful way in which the Lord is providing for us and he's caring for his sheep. Then he says, he restoreth my soul. He restoreth my soul. The shepherd talked about sheep. He said his sheep get on their back they can't get up. Unlike people, unlike animals, a dog, other animals, a, a cow or a horse. He said if sheep get, get in that position, they'll die there. They cannot get up off of their back. He restoreth my soul. And, and you know sheep, they say, is the only animal that must have a shepherd. 
You can, you can take a dog and turn it loose in, in, in a national forest and, and that dog will, will learn to live off of the land. The dog will catch a rabbit or something, the dog will survive. But you put a sheep out there and that sheep will die because the sheep it cannot care for itself. He said that he leadeth me in the path of righteousness for his name's sake. So the shepherd leads the sheep. Unlike goats that, you, that, that they would drive. Unlike, you know, the, the cowboys out in the west as they got, got on the horses and, and as they rounded up the, uh, the cattle and, and they used the horses to drive the cattle. But here in the middle, you go to the Middle East and you have the shepherds leading the sheep, going before the sheep and the shepherds out there giving their call and the sheep following after the shepherd. He leads me in the path of righteousness for his namesake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For thou art with me, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Now we use this in application to, die, to death. But in reality, what he's talking about in the primary understanding of this verse, as a shepherd would lead their sheep from the low land to the high land. And in doing that, if you've been to the Middle East, you know that uh, there's, there's cliffs, there's mountains, there's ravines to go through. And uh, uh, in those areas, uh, there lurked wild animals and, and the sheep were in danger. But the shepherd went through there before the sheep. And uh, he was looking out for any danger that was in the way. There are two things that the shepherd had. He had the rod and the staff. The rod was more like a club. It was a weapon of, of offense, really, there, or defense as well. But uh, if, if an animal would come to attack the sheep, remember David? Uh, when David, we're studying that in, uh, in, uh, at the wilds this week. A uh, preacher preached on David and, and uh, David talking about there came a lion and a bear. Uh, you know, when I was caring for my father's sheep and, and, and I caught the, the amazing thing, David said, I caught the lion by the beard. <laughs> Boy, I'll tell you, now he's just, a, he's just a teenager. But he said, I caught that lion by the beard and I killed it. You know what he had? He had the, he had the rod. And of course, he's, he knows that God was the one that delivered the lion and the bear into his hand. And so the sheep said, I'm not afraid because thy rod and thy staff. The staff was a long stick with a crook on the end. And it was used to rescue the sheep and for walking and other purposes. But he said, "These the rod and the staff, they comfort me. They take care of me. And... Uh, uh, I have no fear. And I want to say, wherever we may have to go in life, whatever we may have to go through, the Lord's already been there. He's already walked the path before us. And we don't have to be afraid. Then he said, Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. One thing the shepherd did when he led his sheep up to the high pastures, he went through the pasture and he got out any poisonous weeds or anything there that would hurt the sheep 
He would prepare the table. He would prepare the pastor and, and get rid of it for us, for the sheep there. And the Lord does that for us. Then he said, Thou anointest my head with oil. My cup runneth over. One of the worst enemies of sheep is insects. Insects are, uh, you know, can kill sheep or other animals. And of course the shepherd, one job that he had was to anoint with oil, was to look out for the disease, to look out for the insects, and to anoint the sheep with this oil that would keep the insects away. You know, uh, I can't stand mosquitoes. If there's one in half a mile, it'll find me. I'll tell you, that's, I love the summertime, but the one thing I don't like about summer is mosquitoes. They just aggravate you and bite me, and every little bite swells up, and, and uh, you know, you have to try to use spray and all that sort of thing to get them away, and I wonder if that's not killing you, but... Uh, but here we have the shepherd anointing with the oil and taking care of the sheep to keep the insects away. And that shows his wonderful care for us. And then he says in verse 6, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. Someone explained this as the, uh, the shepherd had two sheepdogs behind. He was out front and the sheepdogs were behind. I well, I don't know where they were had sheepdogs, but uh, uh, we have somebody following us, don't we? And that's goodness and mercy. You know, I, I have the promise, I can have the assurance that, uh, uh, that God's always going to do me right. God's never going to do me wrong. He's never, he's never done anything but good for me. All thing, in fact, the things that has happened to me that, that's been bad, the Lord's been able to work them together and make them turn out for my good. Didn't you say that? All things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to His purpose. But James said, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom is no verbalness, neither shadow of turning. And so, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. He's going to be my shepherd forever. Isn't that wonderful? You know, with a wonderful shepherd like this, we have nothing to fear, and we're going to spend eternity with him. I'd sure rather spend eternity with him than with the devil, wouldn't you? You know, the devil's never done anything good to me. Only thing he's ever done, look what he done to our first parents and cursed us all with sin and death. And all the heart, we've been studying the book of Job in, in, uh, in Wednesday night. And you know, studying the book of Job, uh, you know, the devil, you don't find in there anywhere where the devil ever done anything good for Job. Everything he done was bad. And I don't want to spend eternity with him. I want to spend eternity with a good shepherd. Now let's move on to chapter 24 and we have Christ our sovereign in this, in this uh, chapter and uh, we have him as the chief shepherd coming in the clouds and uh, some believe that this, the occasion of this psalm was the bringing of the ark back to Jerusalem after it had been taken by the Philistines there but we're not told that definitely but 
He talks about Christ as their sovereign. In verse 1, the earth is the Lord's, the fullness therein, uh, thereof the world, and they that dwell therein. You know, God has a right to reign because he owns it. You know, uh, you know, it's amazing that people think that they own something. Fact is, we don't own anything, do we? The earth is the Lord's, and the fullness thereof, and they that dwell therein. The Lord has it all. It all belongs to him. And uh, if we doubt that, one of these days we'll leave it all behind, won't we? But it's all his. And he talks about he founded it, he created it. And he asks the question, Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? Who shall stand in his holy place? He that hath clean hands and a pure heart, not lifted up his soul into vanity, nor sworn deceitfully. He shall receive the blessing from the Lord and the righteousness and the God of his salvation. This is the generation of them that seek him, that seek thy face, O Jacob. Who has a right to the throne? Jesus. And those that have been redeemed by his grace, none of us meet those conditions. He that hath clean hands and a pure heart, I mean, who in themselves can say, I meet, that, I meet that requirement? All of our hands are dirty. All of our hands are guilty. And so Jesus Christ, though, he meets that condition, and he makes us worthy. You know, he cleans us up. He, he gives us clean hands and clean hearts and gives us a right to the throne. And then this wonderful picture here, in verse 7 through 10, Lift up your heads, O ye gates, and be ye lift up, ye everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O ye gates, even lift them up, ye everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord of hosts, he is the King of glory. You know, that was an exciting time when, uh, when they took that ark to Jerusalem and David danced before the Lord and it wasn't none of this modern dance, I can assure you. But uh, he, uh, he was praising God and that was an exciting time. That was a joyful time and the people were excited about that event. But I'll tell you, there's, there's a, a whole lot more joyful time coming. You know, sometimes I... Uh, when the uh, president or uh, some other, uh, you know, person of uh, national prominence, they, uh, they are introduced. Uh, uh, it always kind of amazes me when he gives his State of the Union address and, and they announce that the president is coming, you know, and, and uh, he come, walks in the hall and they begin to applaud and, and they applaud and applaud and applaud and then he finally... Uh, gets up and he's introduced and for his speech and then they applaud again. They applaud and they applaud and they applaud again. And and uh, but when I when I observe that event, I always think of uh, uh, you know of of the real king, the real you know any man, regardless of who he is, has his faults and failures and and. But I'll tell you, there's one coming that'll be worthy of all the applause and all the praise uh, that we could ever give. And uh, that is the Lord Jesus Christ. One of these days, he's coming back. And he's coming for the believer first. He's coming for you and I that are saved by the grace of God 
and we're going to go home to be with him. We're going to meet him in the clouds. And seven years later, and I think that's what he has in mind here, seven years later, he's coming to set up his kingdom. He's coming to take this world by force. He's going to put down his enemies, and he's going to march into Jerusalem. And he says, lift up your heads, O ye gates. The announcement is made. Lift up the gates. Open the doors. The king of glory has arrived. And they say, who is? <laughs> who is this king of glory? And the answer is, the Lord strong and mighty. The Lord mighty in battle. He's won the war. He's won the war. Uh, Miss Rollis used to tell me about, he was living in Detroit uh, back when World War II ended. And he said, I'll never forget that as long as I live. He said when the announcement was made that the war was ended, he said there was the greatest throng of people, the greatest congregation of people. He said, he said I never saw as many people in my life. He said the streets... He said the streets were full of people and everybody was excited and everybody was, was, it was such a joyful occasion. The war was over. Well, I'll tell you this, when this war is over and the announcement is made, who won this war? Who's victorious? And the announcement is made, the Lord's strong in mind. The Lord, the Lord's the one that's won. We may be in the minority now. You know, uh, we, we may, we may kind of be the people that's put down now, but it ain't going to be that way forever. One of these days, the people that's ridiculed and laughed at one of these days is the one that's really uh, going to be on the winning side. And the, the question again is said, lift up your heads, O your gates. Lift them up, your everlasting doors, and the king of glory shall come in. And they ask the question again, who is this king of glory? And they say, the Lord of hosts. He's the king of glory. He's the one that created it all. Can you imagine living, living with the creator of the universe? I'll tell you that, to use the uh, language of the world, that blows my mind. Uh, when, I, when I think about the creator of the universe, I spend an eternity with him. I've been able to look on him with literal eyes, to look on him literally. We know he, we, we worship him and we know him spiritually and in reality. But to have his visible presence, I cannot, I can't hardly comprehend that. Can you? And then not only a thousand years, but eternity in the new heaven and new earth. And uh, it's going to be glorious. I'm glad to be a part of it, aren't you? You'd think anybody would want to be a part of this. Why spend eternity in a fire with the devil when you've got a choice? <laughs> when there's an alternative? When there's something a whole lot better? And that's what Jesus provided for us. And we'll spend all eternity with him in a glorified body sharing his glory forever. This is what it means to have him as our shepherd. Our shepherd died for us. Not the reverse, not the 
as, as the lamb, he died, we noticed last week in that sense, a picture of that. But here then we find the shepherd dying for the sheep. That's strange, isn't it? Somebody had to die. So Jesus, Jesus, the shepherd, died for the sheep. And then he cares for those he died for. And then he's going to come and get us one day, take us to be with him. Let's bow our heads, please.